Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us once again for our parenting slot. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Here's your first question. Our son is five and a half and an only child. While we have brought all of his clothes from the boys' section, we haven't imposed any gender norms in him in the toys or activities he chooses and encourage him to play with whatever interests him. He enjoys everything from cars, nail polish, Lego, dressing up, Disney princesses and superheroes, sport, dancing, books, construction and art. He tends to balance his time playing with girls and boys in creche and school and many of his best friends are girls. He has recently observed and commented to me that there is a divide and that girls and boys generally stick to their gender groups when playing and he was wondering why. His favourite colour has been pink since he was very young. This changed to rainbows for a while and more recently he tied it to red. The other day he said he doesn't like pink anymore. My husband asked him why and he said that some boys in creche told him that pink is a girl's colour and tease him for liking it so he changed his favourite colour to red so that they wouldn't tease him anymore. He has received similar comments a few times in the past and his response to the other child has been that all the colours are for all the children. He has told me in disbelief that some children think that some colours or toys are only for girls or boys and that this is just their opinion. He seems unfazed. We spoke about it uh, briefly and he moved on from it. The other day he said he doesn't like girls anymore except me. When I asked him why, he said that the same two boys told him they don't like girls and tease him about it. He told me he wants to, uh, to like pink and play with the girls but he doesn't want to be teased. He seems conflicted between being brought up in an environment where, as long as he isn't hurting anyone, he's been encouraged uh, to be himself and pursue what interests him and what some of his friends are saying to him. We know that teasing and wanting to fit in are things he will encounter throughout his school life, but we would really appreciate advice and how we can support him to make his own choices and deal with situations like this in a positive way so that he grows up secure, resilient and comfortable to be himself. I mean, I think they're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, they're they're doing so much of that already. But it's a great example that when our kids start, especially when they start big school, you can see some of it once they go out into the world into preschool, but it's especially pronounced once they go to primary school, that, you know, the safety, security, whatever we create in our homes, you know, the, their home world is challenged, you know, by the outside world. And it's, oh, well, that's not how I thought it was. And now I'm hearing a different way that it is. And so this grappling with what is the truth and these these people think this way and I thought it was another way and why is it this he's doing a great job at working his way through that you know he's a little confused by why would this be something to be teased about and why would people you know any of the other boys think you can't play with girls you can't like pink because his belief is colors are colors and toys are toys and that's the way he's been raised but he's bringing that confusion and those questions back home to his secure base, to his parents and saying, yeah, this doesn't make sense. I'm a bit confused. So I've adapted what I say because I don't want to elicit that response. I want to elicit a different response. He sounds like a really clued in little boy and he's reading it well. Behind all of that, though, I mean, look, the gendering of play is problematic. It's not new. It's not recent. In fact, the recent development is that we question it and we question it critically and we say this isn't how it should be. But even that we can identify that at this young age, there is a boy's section for clothing is striking, isn't it? And we know this, you know, there's a clear demarcation between this is for girls and this is for boys. And as parents, we have the choice to go, where do we purchase our children's clothes from? But for me, clothes are clothes, 
toys are toys and this gendering of it is actually driven by external influences, marketing, things like that, that teach us mm. by this for this child, by this for the other child. So it puts a lot of the onus on us parents to challenge those stereotypes and to bring that into our how we raise our parents. Again, though, I really do think these parents are doing a great job at that. So that's not the question here. So I'm saying, like, keep doing as you are. Avoid those saying others are just wrong. Oh, don't mind them. They're just wrong. It's really tempting as parents to say that, you know, when the, your child might say, oh, this little boy said this. And why would he say that? Oh, he's just wrong. But actually, maybe stick with it and wonder with your son, because he's capable of thinking this through. Wonder with him. Why might they think like that? Why might they suggest this? And that allows him to deepen his awareness of the issue and his thinking on the issue rather than just dismissing it, saying, well, it's just because they're wrong. I think you could also um, talk to the teacher about how this is confusing him. And, you know, often tolerance and acceptance are part of the school curriculum. I'm not positive if it's part of junior infants, but it might be something that the teacher could, you know, assign a creative, playful, play-based project in mixed gender groupings that the kids could work on together. Why is why is it okay for boys and girls to play with the same things? Why is it okay for boys and girls to dress how they want and choose colors they want? That she could involve the class in this. And that might be a nice creative way of working with it. Bearing in mind what he says about, you know, the, the girls and boys generally stick to their own gender groups when playing. I mean, certainly children's play patterns and certainly friendship selection does change at this age, at this stage of mm -hmm. development. You know, they're really filtering through who's like me, who's different to me. Um, who makes me feel good? Who do I like spending time with? And it's usually who who do I like spending time with because they make me feel good? You know, it's quite egocentric. Yes. So children do this quite naturally. And that's not something I'd be concerned about. But I do notice he's he's curious about it. And again, it's about reinforcing that he can approach anyone he wants and say, hey, can I play? Can I join in? Can we play together? And that that's OK, that he doesn't learn actually, the way I think about things, that's what's wrong. I need to change. But that he he keeps that critical reflective thinking on it. And that's why I think using the wondering to bring him deeper into it. So, you know, a couple of, I mean, look, there are no, there's, I always say this, there is a children's book out there for every issue on the planet. For every little life crisis a child is having, there is a bunny or a bear out there having the same one. But there are a couple of books that might be worth just if any parent is listening and going, God, you know, I'd really like to address that a bit more. There's some nice books. Uh, Janine Sanders, I think she's Australian, if I'm not mistaken. She writes quite a bit for children on this type of topic. And two of her books um, are, she has many, but two of them would be, you know, uh, I think it's called either No Difference Between Us or There's No Difference Between Us. And she has another one called Who Am I? I Am Me. And it really reinforces that you are who you are and there's no, it challenges stereotypes, basically. And they can be quite nice. I also like one um, by Karen Beaumont called I Like Myself. It goes, it's nice rhyming. I like myself. I like being me, there's no one else I'd rather be. And it reinforces around that self-esteem piece and just believing in yourself and not in comparison to others, but who you are. Um, you know, th th I think that could be helpful as well, just in reinforcing it. But I do think these parents have done huge work in this area. And it's really about sticking, sticking with what you're doing. Mm. It strikes me, though, that uh, uh, these parents have perhaps one set of values. Other parents in, in the same school mm. this, uh, uh, this uh, little fella is going to might have a completely different sets of values. As you, you know, I, I'm sure you know, gender politics are, are very fraught in, Absolutely. Uh, in all sorts of areas. So, you know, there are parents probably in his school who'd freak out if their son was, was wearing a Disney princess outfit. 
Um, so I, I, he, he, it, I suppose it must be difficult for a five-year-old to encounter all these different sets of values that seem to compete each other when you're trying to say yeah. to them, well, there is no wrong or right answer here. Yeah. And, you know, we could link it to exactly what we've said about gendering play and colors and things Mm. like that for children. But it also could be about a myriad of other topics that once our children leave that kind of safe sanctuary of us and our home as their almost exclusive base of messaging and they're introduced and exposed to bigger, broader world, bigger, broader messaging, that some of that is going to be challenging. And what we're trying to raise them is to be open to other people living, thinking and feeling in different ways, but holding on to their core values that we can amplify and reinforce, because they're definitely going to be exposed way beyond junior infants to other belief systems that challenge their own. They're definitely going to be. And we're talking about tolerance, not just about gender or gender challenging gender norms. We're talking about tolerance in general and raising our children to be you know, a, an active part of a more tolerant society. That doesn't just happen because we will it so. That happens because we parent it so. So we have to see, look, what can we do to challenge that creatively? And again, I always avoid telling one child another child is just wrong. I would much rather use wonder with them Why might they think that? Why might someone feel like that? And how does that compare with how you think and feel and reinforcing their own thoughts and feelings about it that they don't have to think like everybody else does? Uh, Morgan uh, says, sounds like a smart kid, but you've just got to leave him at it. He's going Mm. to have to learn to defend his position and understand the reason he has uh, that position and all sorts of discussions and confrontations for the rest of his life. Uh, I suppose it's a point, really. Now, it's a Uh, um, up to mommy and daddy to kind of bolster that but uh, it's up to him to And I think he is doing a bit of that by the sounds of it. You know, he's bringing it home going, I never thought that there was a different way to think about this. This is new for me. And he's thinking it out loud with his parents who are reassuring and reaffirming his own permission to be who he is, an invitation to be who he is. So I agree. I think he'll work it out. But yeah, this is probably quite challenging for him at the moment. Uh, Somebody else has texted in to say, was that last question just an ad for someone's amazing kid? Uh, Well, they they mostly are, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, Right. uh, Next question is this. My daughter is 14 and has been really testing the boundaries as of late. Smoking, uh, drinking. Her latest stunt was to take the car keys when we were in bed and take the car for a spin around the estate. I mean, all the things that could have happened has been keeping me awake at night ever since. My husband and I certainly never showed her how to drive, nor has her older brother, who has a licence, needless to say. We are so angry with her, and apart from her safety being put at risk, we have explained that she could have killed someone else, and she is so lucky that nothing terrible happened. I'm not sure she's listening to what we're saying. She has apologised, but I honestly don't think she knows what a dangerous thing she's done. I have an idea that my husband isn't too sure of, uh, of, and that it is to ask a local guarder to talk to her about it to explain how dangerous and careless it was. I think she needs to hear how serious her actions are from someone who isn't her father or I. Is that a bad idea? Uh, we no longer keep our keys in the usual place because I don't trust her to not try this again. 
Wow. I think, you know, that last line is where the crux of this is. I don't trust her not to do it again. Mm. And that breach of trust is the piece to focus on. Whether or not you have a local guard to talk to her, you know, I really think that's your call to make. I, I don't know enough about her. I think with children of a certain age, that can be really effective. And again, I don't like, you know, using the guards as a source of fear because actually I don't think that's their role. And yeah. I don't like young children afraid of guards. I like them knowing they're safe people if they were to get separated from their parents or something bad was to happen, that that's someone you go to for help and assistance. Um, I'm wondering at 14, and given the pattern of behavior, is she a little beyond being intimidated by the guard? Like, is she a little going, yeah, 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 my parents brought you in to frighten me, good job, well done, and she'll keep going. It could be a war story for her. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly that. So I would just give that a little bit more thought about what are you hoping to achieve from it? And then link it to her. The one thing that's jumping out is you say, you know, she's testing boundaries. If you had ended the story there, I'd be saying yes, because she's 14. All 14 year olds, all teenagers test boundaries. It's part of their developmental goals. They have to do it. Part of those adjustments that we've spoken about before that they go through in adolescence is testing, defying boundaries, separating, individuating, establishing. I'm nothing like you. I'm my own person and trying out new and experimenting with new tastes, new friends, all of that to establish it, increase privacy all of that is challenging as parents no doubt but normal typical development for teenagers you talk about her smoking and drinking as examples of that and again not to dismiss the seriousness of that because smoking and drinking has serious consequences potentially for teenagers and it's something we would want to look at but we are looking at she wouldn't be alone in doing that but you jump here from smoking drinking her latest stunt is actually stealing our car and taking it for a drive at late at night There's no link to the drinking here, so Mm. I'm assuming she wasn't actually drinking doing that. If she was, that's much more serious again. But that's quite a leap, Sean, you know, smoking, drinking, by the way, stealing a car, Um, you know, and that escalation in behavior. So it's beyond pushing boundaries now. It's pushing boundaries, teetering on that delinquent behavior. So at this point, I think you do need to come down and get this under control as best you can, as quick as you can, because I wouldn't like to see her further escalating beyond this point. Like, what's next? What else could she do? And it's this piece where you say, look, she apologized, but you don't think she knows what a dangerous thing. I mean, from the youngest age, we condition our children to say sorry, but it takes a longer time for them to mean sorry. And then in adolescence, they can lose that again. They're like, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. But they're not really sorry. Yeah, I know a lot of adults like that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're blowing this way out of proportion, roll their eyes. Yeah, sorry about that. Let's move on. And actually, I think you should go back to her on this because the trust is the key piece. And when you do name the behavior as serious, this was really serious and you're taking it seriously as a result. I would also ask her to describe for you in as much detail as possible exactly what happened in sequence. So she's going to rush to go, oh, look, I just did it. I wasn't thinking and shut down the conversation. You want to slow it down and ask her to tell you what was going on before the event, before she took the keys, during taking the keys, starting the car, getting it out of the driveway. What was she thinking and feeling? And immediately afterwards, when she got the car back, assuming she did. And then later, when she realized she'd been caught or when she thought about it afterwards, even before being caught, you want to really emphasize her her drawing on what was she thinking in each moment? What was she feeling at each stage? And really take your time with it because you're trying to get her to go deeper into what was motivating her. Did she get any inclination of an uh uh-oh feeling along the way? And what might she have done differently? And once you get that from her, 
then say, okay, I've heard you. You can even reflect back what you've heard her say. And then add, now I'm going to tell you the story, but from my perspective. And you tell her the same story, but expressing how fearful that you were when you discovered this, how worried you were, the potential consequences. And you do want to condemn the behavior in the clearest terms that what she did was wrong, no matter what anyone, her included, thinks about it, that there could have been a, a victim to this. And actually there was in that she took something that didn't belong to her. She took your car. So you want to talk about how, you know, part of your role is to uphold, you know, rules, boundaries, and, and she might not like that, but that's part of your job. And you also take that seriously um, and talk about how you feel about it. It's emphasizing now that it doesn't change how you feel about her, that you love her and your love is constant. You want to emphasize that, but you are hurt, let down, shocked, incredulous, whatever comes to you, you are that and you are that you feel really disrespected. Now, be authentic. Don't say words you don't mean like that's not a prescriptive list. Just pick mm, the ones yeah. that, that really describe how you feel and then reflect how what it's like to not be able to truly trust your own child and that this trust has to be repaired between you and that you're prepared to work towards it and you wonder if she is too and then talk about you know that trust is really important part of relationships all of that and that it will take time to repair it so explain for a while I might need to question and then check if what you've told me is true I might need to check up on what you're saying to me because I don't fully trust you at the moment because of what's happened and it might feel a bit distant and off between us for a while but it's because I feel upset about what's happened and it will pass and we will get there but you're emphasizing for her this isn't a click of a light switch going yeah you did wrong you said you're sorry we're over it that this takes time to repair because that's an important life lesson for her as well that she has to learn but i think by doing it in this way she's going to get there are there is an outcome there is an impact for, you know that reward seeking part of teenagers is so developed so quickly that that impulsive thrill seeking reward drive of the brain and the bit that says was that really such a good idea? It takes much longer to develop. So you're trying to do this with and for her because I'd be worried about where she would go next with her behavior. That's a pretty significant escalation. Yeah, because it, it, it just strikes me that, that like the smoking and the drinking, which, you know, let's face it, maybe isn't that uncommon among a 14 year old. <laughs> they will tend to do it on the sly. They don't want to get caught, but... <laughs> taking the car out for a spin is like, I know I'm going to get caught. Well, she's not being subtle. And that's also really intriguing here. Like, you know, the fact that they also know she's smoking and drinking would also, you mm. know, give me the impression she hasn't been subtle about that either. So you want to get curious about what is she seeking to communicate to you in these behaviours? Again, that's not to explain, sorry, that's not to excuse the behaviours, but to seek to understand or better understand what's going on for her. Because, you know, this might be something that you guys need to reach out to someone to give you some help with. I mean, a mental health professional, I don't know if she will be open to that. It's very hard to drag a 14 year old into therapy. Nobody really wants to do that. But if you could get her to go a few times in order to rebuild this trust, perhaps, on, you know, as a follow up to what's happened, maybe that would be something that's helpful for them as well. Yeah, indeed. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a, a break after that. A three-year-old with a spitting issue. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us for our parenting slot. Uh, we've uh, already spoken about uh, a rebellious 14-year-old took the family car out for a spin uh, and a five-year-old who's slightly confused about uh, why isn't he allowed uh, like pink as a colour and uh, play with so-called 
girls toys uh, next question though is this my three year old son will not stop spitting his older sisters laughed at him when he first started doing this that was until they fell victim to his spitting tirades but I think their reaction initially encouraged him now when we pick him up he spits on our faces or when visiting his granny through the window He'll spit on the glass. We tell him that's bold and don't spit, but nothing works. He knows he's wrong, but continues with a cheeky look on his face. How do you discourage this type of behavior in a toddler so young? Yeah, I'm not sure he knows he's wrong. Mm. Um, He knows he's getting a reaction and he knows that the reaction he's getting is different to the first reaction, the same behavior elicited. And I think what may have started as, as often is, you know, spitting, biting, pinching, scratching, kicking, hitting, those types of behaviors with this age group and a bit younger are often around, you know, they haven't got, they're still developing language skills. They haven't got the emotional fluency or even verbal capacity to articulate clearly what they're thinking and feeling and the frustration associated with that can then be expressed in those overt behaviors, okay, including spitting. So it may have started as that kind of form of expression, communication, but the laughter that it elicited, at least initially, would have brought an added joy to it. You know, he would have been like, oh, this is fun. This is exciting. Mm -hmm. And then the reaction changed, though his behavior stayed the same. And that's confusing for, for children, for young children going, but it used to be funny. Maybe if I keep doing it, you'll find it funny again. Maybe if I try it with granny, she'll find it funny. I know you don't, mom and dad, but maybe someone else will. And so he might be, you know, kind of going, hang on a second. If it was funny once, it can be funny again. I'm just going to keep doing it. And it's just that kind of way. So I don't think at this age they are really doing this to misbehave, to make us cross. But he certainly knows that whether we, whether it elicits laughter or anger, both are strong responses. You know, aren't, they're different, but they're both strong responses, strong reactions to his behavior. And that in itself can reinforce the behavior that, wow, this gets all eyes on me. It's all about talking about me when this happens. So I think what you, you're clearly doing some of this kind of stop it, do something else. But when he spits, use that kind of gentle yet firm no, get, stay away from kind of you know, that's bold or he's bold, but just say, no, we don't do that. Not Mm. acceptable. Okay. And then, you know, talk about what else he can do with his mouth through the glass when he sees granny, for example, he could smile, he could sing, he could talk, um, you know, he could even wave, he could do a little dance. What could he do instead? Redirect him to positive alternatives. When he's spitting, make sure that he's part of the cleanup. You know, if it's on a window, on the floor, you know, he has to clean that up. He has to wipe that up. And if he's spitting at his sisters, that you put all your focus and attention on tending to them, minding them, nurturing them afterwards, and not all the focus going straight to him. What did you do? Don't do that. Stop doing that. Come over here. But actually tend to the spitty rather than the spitter, if you like. Mm. Um, a lots of redirection and reinforcing positive expressions instead of, you know, like I said about what he can do. And I think just trying to be very calm and consistent with that this should work itself out and certainly once his you know his verbal skills his language skills continue to improve just like biting is often a phase and pinching and hitting i'm hoping this too is also a phase yeah uh, though tim says sounds like this kid has taken the same approach my dad does to joke telling it was funny once about 40 <laughs> years ago maybe if i keep telling it, it'll get funny again that's uh, a <laughs> familiar sentiment i think uh, right okay uh, one last quick one i have twin girls just about gone four they're in preschool which they both love recently one has told me on several consecutive days that she was crying in play school because the teacher 
teacher wouldn't let her play with her twin sister and directed her to play with another child. When she first told me this, I could see she was holding a lot of emotion about it. When I asked her if she was sad about that, she started crying again. I'm not sure whether to address this or not with the play school. She talks positively about play school generally, loves going in and talks about all the other kids and her friends there. So I don't have a sense of her uh, withdrawing from the other children. I have watched her in playgrounds approach other young children she doesn't know and ask their names, offer her name and she seems reasonably at ease. I'm wondering if the play school thinks she relies too heavily on her sister whom, is it is true, is very sociable, possibly a little more extroverted and confident and are drawing comparisons when I would be more inclined to allow her to choose who to play with whether this is her sister or not if it means she feels safe and is enjoying herself. I'm not sure whether to let play school do its thing or not. Do you have any thoughts about this? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I probably have lots of thoughts on it. But first and foremost, I think you need to contact the preschool, you know, and ask all of the questions you've asked here and, you know, get to the bottom of what is motivating them in this regard. What have they observed? What are their concerns so that you're not having to guess or wonder? Um, So look at twins socially interact from the start with each other and they can have that quite intense contact because, you know, they've had access to each other from the beginning and often, not always, but often they do need to learn to socialize with other children outside of their couplet, especially if they are exclusive in their relationship and hold in mind that not all twins are. Not all twins are exclusive or super dependent on each other, even from young childhood. So there are there's heaps of research that would find that twins and multiples should be separated, ideally between three to six years in school. But and it's a big but all of that research would also emphasize that parents should be actively involved and actually have the final say in such a decision. And that hasn't happened in this instance. So if the play school have a policy, oh, we always separate twins and multiples, then that's something to address with them directly. And if not, you want to roll the clock back and actually be actively involved in it. And if, as it seems here, your decision would be, I'd like her to choose who she plays with, whether it's her sister or not. We know that when she's in a playground with lots of children, she will actually migrate to other children. It's not a concern that we have. And actually forcing it may well cause a little girl confusion about why am I not allowed to play with my sister? Did I do something wrong? And that's not what you want, nor is it what the play school will want with this. But also at this age, if you direct a child to play with another child, they immediately don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, we want them to find their own rhythm, their own pace with the children around them. And, you know, I again, I would ask the play school, but my own sense would be let children choose who they want to play with, you know, whether it's her sister or not. Let's just see what she does rather than inserting ourselves and directing her away. But again, I think you have to go back to the play school and have that conversation first. Joanna, uh, uh, thanks very much as usual. Joanna Fortune there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Moncrief on Newstalk.